the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Milkshake Somali Podcast, where people who have received blood products thank the donors who have saved, prolonged or improved their lives. My name is Kate Fisher. I am the creator of Milkshakes for Mali, an award-winning Australian storyteller and a change maker. I am also mother to the incredible Mali. She is now seven and Australian blood donors have been keeping her alive for the last four years, much to the delight of her big brothers Thomas and Campbell Benjamin. We live on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland with my amazing husband Jeff and Mali's seizure response service dog Patty. You can check out our Instagram page for more information on just how much Patty has changed Marley's life. This podcast is the creative solution to a social problem, which is persistent critical blood shortages in Australia, as simply not enough people donate. One in four Australians will need blood in their lifetime, and yet only about one in 30 eligible Australians donate. And it's my mission to change that while thanking as many blood donors as I can reach along the way. I've created this platform where blood recipients come on each week and tell me their survival stories. Family members tell stories of the way that blood has helped their loved ones and blood donors can respond with their stories of why they are committed to saving the lives of others. Now, I wish I could say that being a fierce blood donation advocate is purely a selfish act, but the truth of the matter is that our seven-year-old daughter has a condition called autoimmune encephalitis. She is currently in remission, but this is a condition for which there is no cure. However, treatment is possible through intravenous immunoglobulin infusions made from the plasma donated by Australian blood donors. These infusions are life-saving for Mali when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between. You will hear from Mali at the end of the episode each week. Making this podcast is so important to me because if our listeners have ever been blood donors, they can listen to an episode and wonder if they were the one who saved Mali or if their blood went to any of our other guests. So if you are a blood donor, thank you. And if you would like to become one, please join the Milkshakes for Mali Life blood team when you book in for a donation. And if you're unable to donate blood, please rate or review this podcast, share it on your socials or text the episode link to a friend because one in four Aussies will need blood products during their lifetime and encouraging new donors may just ensure that there is treatment available for you or your loved ones when they need it. Now on with today's episode. The first time I met today's guest was at a dance studio. I remember watching as she switched two little girls' dance outfits over from ballet to jazz, offering affirmations of love and positivity, and maybe even bribing the littlest one with snacks from her well-stocked bag and encouraging her back into the dance studio. I remember thinking what a lovely mama she was, how she held space for her little ones and the way that her girls' eyes lit up when she said to them, I loved watching you dance. Little did I know, watching that perfectly normal family exchange was that I was witnessing the results of a miracle. 
a mama who was lucky to be alive after appendicitis as a teenager and the septic infection that wreaked havoc on her body and her reproductive organs. And that part of that treatment included products from Australian blood donors. While her fertility journey had been a mammoth one, she was a mother to precious little Annabelle and Everly who danced alongside Marley every week. What I didn't know until much later is that the super cool dance mum that I had been chatting to was in fact Summer Daniels, kick-ass businesswoman, artist, creative director and founder of Little Ray Prince, which is the home to the most beautiful and most loved artwork for children worldwide. I remember reading a piece that she had written about being younger and engaging in a business venture that hadn't worked out the way she had planned and how she negotiated her way out of debt, paying rent on a premises that wasn't fit for the purpose she had intended, but tracking her way back to financial independence and furthering her education. It was such a shock for me to realise that the glamorous woman that I followed on socials unapologetically enjoying the finer aspects of life and enjoying beautiful clothes and raising her adored girls in her beautiful home was in fact this same mama sitting next to me handing out snacks at a dance studio on a Friday afternoon. If you follow Summer on her socials, you will see that she purposefully curates a beautiful life for her and her family. She lives with such gratitude and intention and you will hear that in this episode. Australian blood donors have played such a big role in ensuring that any of this was possible. I hope you enjoy my chat with Summer Daniels. How's Marley? <laughs> How's life with you? Yeah, she's amazing. Like she's doing brilliantly, like just brilliantly. So um, she's at school now up to four days a week. Um, one of the days she does five hours a week now, which is just insane compared to where we were. So oh, yes. Wednesday as a rest day. Um, but apart from that, she's doing beautifully. She's right into yoga at the moment. So all yeah. she wants to do is yoga, which is just amazing. So that makes everybody happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow, that must just be life-changing for you. Oh, completely, completely, completely life-changing. And just for our whole family, I think that we can just really relax into having just a childhood like it's just yeah. the normal hustle and bustle that everybody else is dealing with of childhood and you know activities and drop-offs and pickups and play dates and rather yeah. than being in hospital all the time which is just amazing so yeah we're just gonna live the most beautiful and best life while yeah. she is well and worry about the future yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, are you happy to dive straight in yeah, let's go. Yeah, amazing. So um, I am amazed that you have never done a podcast before. How on earth yeah, I know. have you never? You are the most epic storyteller and sharer. Oh, my goodness. How <laughs> have you never been on a podcast? And how lucky are the Milkshakes Kamali, Milkshakes Kamali community to get you for the first time? Oh, my gosh, stop. Yeah, no, I... um. I don't know why I have never done a podcast, to be honest. Um, I think it's probably more so just a focus in on my family and life and anything outside of that. I've kind of gone, oh, no, nope, don't have time because I uh, really prioritize, I guess, the kids' activities and that kind of yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making the time to do ours. It's such an honor to have you. Oh, I feel show. so honored to have been asked, to be honest. <laughs> 
Thank you. So we met um, as dance mums watching our beautiful little girls dancing together. Um, and I had, when I first met you, I had absolutely no idea about Little Ray Prince or the all of the amazing things that you do or that you were such an epic storyteller in oh, your own right. We just had little girls in tutus coming out and asking for snacks midway through the lesson and all of those <laughs> types of things, getting in there and having a bit of fun. Um, yeah. Can you tell me about um, the first time you met Marley and when you became aware of our story? Yes. Yeah, so obviously in the dance community, my girls are well and truly uh, dancers now. So we spent a lot of our time at the dance studio. But uh, yeah, meeting you and obviously just like so easy to talk to. I absolutely loved you when I first met you. And um, I had no idea that yeah, Molly did have issues. I guess it's just because obviously going into uh, the dance studios, the doors are closed and you're kind of mm. left to sit on the bench. And it was one of the other dance moms that said to me, are you aware of how incredible Kate is and what she's dealing with and little Molly's story? And I was like, what? No. So I jumped on and I listened to your podcast and um, let me tell you, I cried many tears and um, probably one of the most uh, moving things I've seen is her on stage at a dance concert and being able to do that and your family there supporting her through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty special. And um, so our girls did a dance concert together a few years ago. And I think it shared with everybody the reality of our life that mm -hmm. I, you know, got up and spoke as part of the concert and explained Molly's story so people understood what a bonus it was for her to be able to get up and dance on stage like that it was so far but the fact that she was alive was astounding but the fact that she was able to get up and dance like that <laughs> was so far beyond what we ever imagined for her um and then, yeah, just to let our listeners know what happened that night was that she had done her dances and she was out the back with Campbell with COVID restrictions. We couldn't have parents um, out behind, like backstage with the kids. And just as Campbell, our now 10-year-old, was about to go on and do his hip-hop routine, he just appears in the crowd with Marley being carried by one of the dance teachers <clears throat> and says, Mum, she's about to have a seizure. I can tell she's about to have a seizure. And she did. She came and had a seizure in my arms while Campbell was on stage dancing. And he was quite happy to miss his dance to get her back to me and to get her mm -hmm. safe. And, um, yeah, they kept the lights down for a little while and his little feet ran onto the stage and he absolutely rocked that hip-hop routine while his sister was having a seizure in my arms. Um, but that's just what the reality of our life can be like at times is that mm -hmm. at any time, at any moment, we have to assume that that is a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the dance community have just been so amazing. I think sometimes the dance community can get a bit of a bad rap about being, you know, all about being the elite aspect of it, being too, you know, pretty and competitive and whatever. And yeah, there is that to it. And of course, we want our kids to shine when they're talented. And but also, they are more than happy for Marley to just go and lay down at the front of the studio and watch the other kids dance sometimes if that's all that she's able to do. You are the CEO, creative director and founder of the amazing Little Ray Prince, which I didn't know about until this is how I became aware of how amazing you were, was that I've got a friend who sent me their child's nursery that she was putting okay. together. And I was like, oh my God, they're amazing. And she said, you know, do you follow Summer? And do you know about Little Ray Prince? And I was like, 
oh, I think I might actually know her. I should follow her when I get home. And then I had a look and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is a powerhouse. And I just oh, had thank you. So tell me a little bit about Little Ray Prince um, and about your passion to make childhood magical for little people. Yeah, so Little Ray Prince really started, um, well, it was born from uh, me becoming a mother myself. I, um, you know, had a very busy life in the corporate world and went on maternity leave and took it as my opportunity to um, kind of really look at what I wanted to do with my life. So I pursued um, what I loved and um, in maternity leave, really just focused in on art. And as I was doing so, noticed a huge gap in the market for um, kids spaces. And particularly when we were renting and because we um, we remodeled a house and knocked another one down and built um, over those early years uh, with the kids. And one of the challenges was the stark white spaces. So particularly when Everly was born, um, she was a child that needed really strict routine. With Annabelle, I was able to, uh, she was able to adapt to whatever environment we were in. So I was able to kind of go on the move a bit more, venture out into nature, do those sorts of things. Um, With Everly, she really needed her sleep routine and she needed the dark room to be able to do it. So um, I found myself spending a lot more time at home and uh, that was really challenging for me mentally as well, because I love the outdoors. Um, I love to, I guess, go and seek inspiration. I call it big sky Mm. energy. And um, I was surrounded by these white walls. And so was she and my other daughter. And I was like, well, you know what, we need to start bringing the outdoors in. If we can't go to it, we're going to bring it into us. And um, at that stage, uh, I guess the wall decal market was really dominated by vinyl, um, which obviously has its own toxicities that emit mm-hmm. into the air. And um, I yeah, found a niche with fabric wall decal. So um, I started creating the art and putting it onto uh, this removable fabric adhesive, which um, just created an incredible luxury aesthetic and enabled the kids' rooms to be <clears throat> not stark and white and... Um, I guess, amazing for them, but also a source of inspiration for myself as a mother. Mm. So sitting in the room, being able to have color, I'm all about color. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and just really creating, fun. I've looked at some of the rooms that have been made from your beautiful creations and you spend so much time in those rooms, especially with little babies, or if you've got, you know, a colicky baby or whatever, resettling and feeding and resettling and all of those things to create a beautiful space to celebrate motherhood in as well is absolutely. such a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And I feel like, um, well, for me particularly, I love to surround myself with beautiful things. It's um, It impacts my mindset enormously. So um, being able to sit in a space where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is magic and that looks beautiful. It's just, um, yeah, it's a, it completely shifts you into a different mindset, particularly mm-hmm. during those midnight hours when you're at your wits end and uh, running on you know minimal sleep yeah you document your life so beautifully through your socials and it is it's beautiful big energy and I just love the aesthetic of your family and the way that you move through life but what I adore out of looking at it is the gratitude with which you show up to every day and 
how much you love those little girls with so much passion and the gratitude that you show for your relationship with your husband. And you guys are just such a beautiful little family unit. And I guess I came from it having met you as a family first and then saw the beauty in it all. So I guess I've got a bit of a different perspective where obviously I know a little bit of your backstory, but can you give a sense to our listeners um, of why you're so incredibly grateful to be parents to those beautiful little girls and the times that you thought you might not have a family? Yeah, well, um, I guess I am a firm believer that when you're given a healthy dose of perspective, um, you're able to see life in a whole new manner. And I personally, um, from a teen, got served um, a big, <laughs> a big healthy dose of perspective, I guess, in quite a scary way, and um, that then, uh, I guess, snowballed into fertility issues in my twenties. So, um, yeah, I remember absolutely breaking down after having an operation and seeing my fertility specialist after that hearing that I had to go through IVF. Um, There wasn't much information out about it online. Not many people spoke about it. I didn't know anyone who had been through it. Um, I thought that was pretty much, you know, you're going to be very lucky to have children. Your chances are very slim. And um, at that point in time in the car park, I absolutely broke down, collapsed. And um, my husband was like, we'll sell our house. We'll do whatever it takes. You can quit work. Um, you know, all of these <laughs> really big, I guess, yeah. gestures that we thought we were going to have to take. Um, and all I, I went home and I researched adoption and I researched um, surrogacy and all of those kinds of things and very quickly realized that you don't really have those as an option until you've completely given up on your fertility journey in Australia too. So um, for me at that point in time, the outlook felt really bleak. And mm. when I um, I guess was first faced with IVF um, my secondary thought was what's the point point? and that's really confronting um, yeah. in that what's the point of life if I can't have kids that's really confronting to say but I really feel like I faced a grief head-on um, at the prospect of never being a being a mother even yeah. though I hadn't even I guess begun the journey yet down that mm. path so mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's certainly not to judge other people's choices either, but I felt exactly the same way. For me, that was that that was what I felt like I was born to do. That's what I had set my life up around. Um, I really wanted to, yeah, be a mum to little people. And I felt very similar. When Jeff and I started the IVF process, we did it because we knew that it would look good on our adoption paperwork if we had uh-huh. completed our fertility uh-huh. journey and if we could show that we'd left no stone unturned. Like we didn't think there was any chance that we were going to be able to have children. And part of that was the medical information that we had been given. But part of that was also, I guess, the way that we'd been socialized um, Mm -hmm. to think about IVF and fertility journeys and the cost of it. And, you know, the social, emotional, financial impact of it is still one of the most difficult things that we have ever been through. But so important to have people like you to put, you know, words around that experience to normalize it for people so that they can ask those questions and feel those feelings and feel like they're not so alone. So 
Thank you so much for being so candid about your fertility journey, um, including your pregnancy losses, which have just been so brutal, um, but also really celebrating those little people that you have carried for such a short time mm-hmm. and what that experience has meant for your family as well, even though you don't get to have them in your arms now. So as a mum who has been through very sim- well the same experiences that you have been through quite often, I just want to say thank you. Um, oh. for- families of Australia that have really benefited from the way that you've told those stories. Yeah, well, I do think it is so important for women to speak because it's so common. It's, um, yeah, we go through so much as women silently. And I think having the perspective of being told I was needing to go through IVF and really uh, once I, um, I guess, told my circle that I, that was the, Uh, pathway we were going to have to take to have children Um, I was so grateful for the women that reached out that had been through it previously that that they were the only people that I wanted to speak to about it and Mm -hmm. I just leaned on their story so heavily during that time so Mm -hmm. I feel like I almost um yeah owed it to women (laughs) yeah 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 the power of storytelling hey (laughs) we we do have that never just our own never just our own Now, to take it back to where some of these, um, I guess, concerns around your fertility and the impact um, that those experiences had as a teenager, I need to ask you, were you a country girl growing up? Because who does a debutante ball these days? I know. No, I grew up on the Sunshine Coast and I probably, it's probably the small country town by the sea at that point. I did not expect Sunshine Coast wives to include a debutante ball. And I say that being a country girl that did yeah. my dead ball and all my yeah. cousins did their dead ball and people city kids and coastal kids don't ever seem to know what it is so yeah. I yeah when I saw in your story that that was when you became quite unwell and yeah, yeah it doesn't surprise me you still got that dress on and you did that dead ball yeah. because the lead up to a dead ball is intense <laughs> can you tell me about um, I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe I wasn't in hospital at that point <laughs> Can you tell me about becoming unwell and what happened with your appendicitis? Yes. So um, I was in grade 10, I believe, Mm -hmm. and um, I had uh, severe stomach pain, um, but it wasn't isolated. So appendix, you normally, um, you know, down on the the right Mm. right side. Um, I freak out whenever my children have stomach pain. (laughs) Just gastro, just gastro. (laughs) And um, Yeah, for probably about 24 hours, I had severe stomach pain and um, I had the shot in the bum from the doctor um, to take it away. And if pain persists, you know, instructions to go and um, get it rechecked again. So I went and um, yeah, probably I would describe the following week as... um, probably a bit odd because with appendicitis you associate severe abdominal the following week yeah for yeah for a week after I was um yeah like unwell I wasn't able to eat properly I was um yeah probably lethargic but not excessively so I guess it progressed like more and more and um yeah, just um, didn't have the intense abdominal pain, I guess. Yeah. I did have cramping and whatnot, but um, yeah, I guess mum and dad were like, you know, let's um, get some protein smoothies into you, like, yeah. you know, or um, 
lack of energy was probably the the biggest indicator and yeah. um, did my debutante ball and I remember during the photos having um I mean I danced with my dad at the debutante ball um I um during the photos I remember getting really dizzy and having to sit down and yeah. the next day um that's when the severe abdominal pain really came on and mm-hmm. I got the doctor and subsequently hospital um so my appendix had actually burst and um it was isolating so my body was doing a really good job of fighting it but um the peritonitis was isolating all of my organs so taking over and isolating my organs down in that um right hand corner of my abdomen and um it had completely destroyed my right ovary and um I guess what was said to me is in these cases your body body either fights and wins or it slowly eats every organ you know one by one and it and when you've got that I guess level of poison sort of coursing through your body um I don't imagine there'd be too much of an opportunity to come back naturally from it no not at all Um, not at all uh what resulted was yeah emergency surgery obviously had my appendix removed my right ovary removed um my whole stomach needed to be cleared out of the um all of the toxins and whatnot yeah and um for the I was in hospital I think for a few days after and sent home um couldn't even laugh because obviously my stomach had been um Mm. Just hurt so much. So significant. Yeah. And um then I all I uh, the the core memory for me is going up to have a shower in my mom's um ensuite while I was recovering and and collapsing on her bed and screaming out help. Mm-hmm. And I just um vomited all over her bed and yeah. my I came my older sister came running into the room and helped me into the bathroom she was yelling out to mom I was vomiting everywhere they quickly got me in um you know tracksuit and again to the doctors who um raced me by ambulance to the hospital so at this stage remembering um school wasn't there so it was you know all the way up at Nambour for us and yeah, I actually ended up in Andrea Hearn Hospital in Caloundra. So um, I had, uh, yeah, secondary infection. So um, there was operation number two to have that drained. And then that happened again. So all in all, I ended up in hospital for three weeks. Um, yeah. Got to the point where I, you know, they, um, um, I'm going backwards and forth into the into the timeline here but I do remember it getting to the point where I was just surrounded by gray walls and I was listening to this song on the I mean there was no Netflix (laughs) (laughs) TV there was fairly depressing and it was just this song playing probably every five songs on loop um really terrible with music so I don't know the name of it but it's that I thought that it would rain the day you went away oh yes I thought I was listening to my funeral song over and over again and I had um overheard the doctors uh telling my parents um that my blood levels weren't recovering the nurse very firm um my parents were probably pretty scared for me to have a blood transfusion and um uh I probably not understanding the level of testing that happens with the blood and whatnot. Um, yeah. 
And um, I remember my dad saying, well, can I give blood? And them going, well, it doesn't really work that way. And um, yeah, the nurse coming in and saying she needs a blood transfusion or she's not going to recover. And yep. the next thing I remember is looking at mom and dad and saying, when am I getting the blood transfusion? And they yeah. laughed and said, well, it's all, it's already happening, honey. And I looked up to the left and sure enough, the blood was going into my arm. Mm. And from there, I started to recover after that transfusion. Mm. So um, it's incredible yeah. that you survived that process at all like you just yeah. think about the way those infections can progress and had you gone to bed at night time or something and had some of that progress a bit further and not been you know up and awake and you know it's so incredible that you survived it all and it's incredible to think that the kindness of Australian blood donors yeah. is the reason like no amount of science or medicine or whatever would have got you over the line it's yeah. those people that took their time to donate blood that made sure you had those products available, not just to live, but also then to go on and thrive and have such an incredible life that you have yeah. created for yourself now. Yeah, well, absolutely. To go from yeah, laying in a hospital bed, kind of unable to move and not recovering to being the next mm. day able to go, okay, now, now we're good. My levels have come up and yeah. I'm well on my way. So mm. um, yeah, it is, it's so important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the um, things that I like to draw together for people as well is had those people not donated that blood that mm. went into 15-year-old summer to be mm. able to recover after a th three surgeries and the appendicitis and all of the things, mm. then you would never have gone on to create those beautiful little girls. Like yes. Annabelle and Everly would not be in the world yeah. had it not been for those people donating blood at that time as well. So Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely. phenomenal to take that moment. Yeah. Of gratitude and really, yeah. Thank mm -hmm. the people around you at that time. Um, you are a social media powerhouse in your own right, but can we just take a moment to talk about the Annabelle Loves to Dance Instagram account? Because it's <laughs> bringing me so much joy. That kid yeah. and her attitude, like she is going places. She <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And I will be very clear in that she she doesn't have access to that Instagram account. Oh, right? Without yeah. led. But um yeah, I am a firm believer in being really involved in their social media journey. I think um it's so easy to say, oh, it's toxic for kids and to turn the blind eye, but it's not going anywhere. And um the most power you have as a parent is knowledge. So Yes. If yeah, I could, absolutely. It's okay and fun and develop that um, healthy relationship with social media, then I'm going to do everything in my power to, um, yeah, make sure that they are they are comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we will pop a link to all of those socials and, of course, to Little Ray Prince in our show notes. So if people don't know who you are yet, which would surprise me, they will know who you guys are at the end of this episode. Um, just to round us out, do you have a message for Australian blood donors um, or to anyone who's considering donating in the future? I absolutely uh, am so grateful, obviously, for anyone who donates blood. I also, um, in I had uh, placenta previa uh, in the birth with Annabelle, so I had the blood transfusion on standby during that process as well. I didn't need it, fortunately, but... Um, 
Yeah, it was very, oh, there's a lot of mothers who do need blood products when they give birth as well. And um, I have many friends who have needed it. Uh, so yes, one, like absolute, so much gratitude for anyone who does donate blood. It is so important. I'm always, always on it, my husband, to go and donate blood. So, um, <laughs> men particularly, I do think men really need to step up, step up and lead the charge because yeah. Um, they don't they don't lose it on a monthly basis and um yes, I'm yeah. massive yeah I'm really vocal about that around my, my husband yeah. um and yeah please donate blood it's so important I'm I feel like um a lot of people potentially see uh blood donation as something that's needed for horrific accidents or for um you know chronic illness and that kind of thing and not realizing that even in a situation like mine uh where I just simply wasn't recovering from mm. the infection and illness and operations and I just needed that boost to my um blood cell count to be mm. able to get me get me through that so yeah. there's so many um so many needs for it and yeah it's so important it just breaks my heart when I see that supplies are running low yeah, yeah it's really scary and we yeah. you know say to people next time you're sitting in the car with your family mm-hmm. have a look around because one of the people statistically one of the people in that car are mm-hmm. very likely to need blood products within mm-hmm. their lifetime and yet only one in 30 people donate yeah yeah. And it, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Like if you think that, you know, one of the people in your car should be worthy of getting the blood that they need to keep them alive, prolong their life, improve the quality of their life, whatever mm-hmm. it is, then that is really nice inspiration to make an appointment to. Oh, absolutely. And one in 30, I didn't even know those statistics. That's, um, that's frightening. Mm. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's of the eligible donors. Mm-hmm. Um, so Summer, we are so grateful to have you as part of the Milkshakes for Marley community. It has been such an honour to talk to you today. Um, we lo- just look forward to seeing what you create. And I am watching very closely at the incredible zebra print that you have coming out. Because uh, I saw yeah. you painting your zebra the other day. So yes. given that a zebra <laughs> is part of our rare diseases um, yes. icon for the podcast, um, with this pink for strawberry milkshakes for milkshakes for Marley as well Um, we look forward to that collection coming out and we will share it with our listeners when it does I'll make sure you're the first one to receive it Kate thank you (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much for being part of our community um, and it's just been a joy to have you here today oh thank you thank you for asking me I feel so honored When I recorded this episode with Summer, I was just about to head to London for the Women Changing the World Awards, and she was so supportive of me and the work that I'm doing in blood donation advocacy. It's one thing for me to tell the stories um, of Marley being so excited to be able to put on the same dance outfit as the other little girls and go to a ballet class, but then be too tired to actually participate in the class and lay on the floor of the studio just doing the arm movements instead. But to be one of the fellow mums in the audience that then saw her get up on stage later in the year and perform two dances with her group at her end of year concert was pretty magical. And I know that Summer and I weren't the only mums that shed tears that night. Um, And I loved that she shared that experience of our dance concert as part of tonight's episode. Um, What I do know is that if it weren't for Australian blood donors, Summer may not have survived and there would be no Annabelle and there would be no Everly. And we all know that without Australian blood donors, there would be no Marley. 
Um, so there would have been three less little girls on that stage that night, grooving away without a care in the world. And those moments of joy have been gifted to our families by the Australians that roll up their sleeves to make blood donations. And to you, we offer our deepest gratitude. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. I am also your executive producer. Today's guest was artist Summer Daniels, creative director and founder of Little Ray Prince. Welcome to Country and Audio Production by my lovely husband, Jeff Fisher. Social media assets by Jason at Strosky Media. And as always, I will leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prize, Mark.